At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Uh, welcome again. If you're hearing this, it means the world did not end today. <laughs> At least the <laughs> or, internet's still working. Or you the got internet's crazy, still working. Crazy good generator. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're uh, you're hearing the voices of Ben Hardman. I'm here. Ben Sternke. Oh, hey, I didn't even realize we started recording. And, well, that's how we do it. Right? <laughs> I know. That's and how you love to do it. How we do it today. I love, I love to do that. This is Matt Tebby, and we are wrapping up today our series on being a Christian in America. We're wrapping it up on Election Day. This is Tuesday, November, what is it, 4th? 3rd? 3rd. 3rd. And, uh, well, we've been talking about this for several months now, about the complexities, the challenges, and opportunities that being a Christian in America in 2020, no less, Mm-hmm. Uh, presents to us, um, and you know we haven't even been looking at the full panorama of Christian identities. We've been primarily speaking because we're we're white guys with fairly conservative church backgrounds. We've been primarily focusing on our you know our group. You know what does it mean for us in 2020 to be a Christian in America? And not everything's centered around the election, but man, you can't not talk about the election. Uh, as a Christian in America in 2020, it's just kind of where we're at. But uh, we thought maybe today on Election Day, maybe you're listening to this as you stand in a 16-hour line somewhere, <laughs> or uh, hope that your mail-in ballot gets there by today so that it's counted, or wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we thought we'd just reflect a bit on the things we're learning, mm-hmm. uh, not only from our own series as we talk to people and, and spend time with them, but also you know, as Ben pastors there in Atlanta suburbs and as Ben and I pastor here in Indianapolis, what are we learning? So maybe uh, to kick us off uh, as a way of getting a little more specific than just what we're learning, curious, as you consider being a Christian in America in 2020, like what is more clear to you now, maybe than in 2016? And what is more confusing 
or complicated to you now than in 2016? Hmm. Hmm. You're asking us that question, right? That's to Mr. Ben. Unless Jimmy wants to chime in. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a rhetorical no, I just put Jimmy outside because he barks during the podcast. Uh, so he's not ready. He's not prepared to answer that. I, I think the one thing that's becoming more clear for me is that we have a scarcity theology that has impacted the way we view the world in every way. And so, so much of the fears and anxieties and the sky is falling and the world is ending is built around a belief system that still believes that we have to pursue power in a specific way because there's not enough. So it feels like it all comes back to me to a system that is built around the idea that we've actually lost faith that God is our provider and Mm -hmm. God is our protector. Uh, And so in so many ways, I feel like for me, it's becoming more and more clear that I have to spend a lot more time on these baseline theological things. I mean, I I don't know if you guys have felt this as a pastor, Mm -hmm. but there's been so many times throughout the last year where I've thought you've sat in my church for the last three years and you don't know this or you haven't heard or this feels like news to you. Like, have you, like, have I not been saying this? Right. Um, And so I think there needs to be some more almost explicit calls uh, to the practicalities of what our theology means and uh, what a life of scarcity versus a life of abundance looks like. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it feels like so much of our fears and anxieties are so rooted in scarcity. So we've been preaching through first Kings. Uh, I know you guys have been doing the sermon on the Mount, which the sermon on the Mount's okay, but first Kings is really where it's at. <laughs> uh, we've been Kings? preaching through first Kings and, and you know, what you see in first Kings is, is none of this is new, right? Like co-opting, co-opting power for Christianity is is not something that's new, right? Like, like nationalized religion is is nothing new. Uh, taking tiny shortcuts in order to get tiny gains is nothing new. Um, you know, you see that when Solomon was asked for the what's the one thing that you want, you know, he said, "I want wisdom so that I can govern." When David was asked, "What's the one thing you want?" he said, "Psalms twenty seven four. I want to be in your presence, right? I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you." Uh, those are very different requests. And, and so um, I think what's becoming clear to me is we got to get better at discipling people. Mm-hmm. And what's becoming complicated to me is I'm not quite sure how to do that as much as I'd like to. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, Matt, when we talk about these things. But, but those are some of the things that are becoming more clear and complicated to me. Yeah, what I hear you say is that like the things that people are indicating to you that they don't know or have confusion about, you feel like you are crystal clear on. Like you haven't been, like, so you're saying things, doing things, leading in ways, communicating things, and people, this reminds me of a Dallas Willard quote, in before Sternkey. Oh, good work. Man, you beat me to it. Where he he says that most of us don't have ears to hear, we have ears to sort. And Mm -hmm. it it reminds me of that because because we only hear what we want to hear. We really yes. only hear what we want to hear. And especially, Hardman, if somebody's saying something that 
threatens or challenges the way we make sense of the world, man, we have every inclination and impulse to not hear it. Yes. Um, yes. It, and it's, it, it's, it's amazing to me how I can talk about something that is it, the way that, that it's interpreted by two different people based on their political lenses is completely different. Yeah. Right. So the way that we even see, and so there's been a part of me that's thought if I could just teach better information, right. If I could just teach better mm -hmm. information, then we're going to sort this out. And what I'm realizing more and more is it's not so much about better information, better content. It's that we have to teach people a way to see mm -hmm. where they interpret the world through the kingdom uh, and not through all of these other lenses, because there's so many different ways of viewing and seeing right now that we've got to go back to some of the basics of this is how we have to see the world. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, Matt, you know, most of us have ears to sort, not ears to hear. Um, there, there is a baseline. I think this is what feels threatening to a lot of leaders. There is a baseline sort of want to that people have to have before they're, before they can be discipled. So it's not a lack, it's not a lack of knowledge or how to, for most people, it's not like, oh, how do I see the world like Jesus? Pastor, please help me, right? It's for a lot of people, it's like, no, actually, like I've got ears to sort. So I'm not actually interested in seeing the world like Jesus. I actually am interested in co-opting your words, you know, for mm -hmm. not that anybody would admit this consciously, right? <laughs> yeah. But 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 there has to be like in our attempts to disciple people, I think the the mistakes that I've made in the past and that I think are being brought to light here in what you're talking about, Hardman, is I've assumed that um, if I could make a way for people to be discipled, they would choose it. Mm -hmm. Like that what yeah. they're lacking is the is that they, they don't realize that they can be a disciple of Jesus. They don't realize that, oh, here's how you can see the world like Jesus. They don't realize that. Um, but actually, most people, I think, need to be brought to a, a further, a decision that's further back, which is, do you want to learn? Do you want to see a new way, right? Yeah. Do you want to see the world through the kingdom right. lens? And yeah. what we're talking about is confirmation bias in so many different ways, which I'm sure. seeing over and over and over again yeah. of, yeah. of everything. There's just everything's interpreted through the lens that you're seeing the world. And so yeah. I'll be preaching about something very specific to the kingdom and it's interpreted as a liberal or conservative talking point yeah. when we're, we're, I'm not even operating in that field. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's this confirmation bias that's continuing to happen. So, so I love what you're saying there, Ben, because you're saying what we, what we need to ask is, do you want to see the world? <laughs> do you want to see a new way? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. There's this constant and, invitation into yeah, viewing yeah. the world in a new way. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the challenge there then is, is finding ways to interrupt the ways that people's sort of consciousness normally works in order to bring that to light that, okay, you, there's a choice here to make. Which one do you want? Where do you want to go? You know what I mean? So I think I'm thinking about uh, this is something that has become more complicated for me uh, and something that I want to get better at is how to preach or lead conversations or just talk to people in such a way where I am able to, in the way that Jesus was, bring those things to light and let people see what they're doing and what they want, right? Where Jesus was brilliant at this, I think parables worked this way, where they he was able to like highlight, like you think you're about God's kingdom, but but here's here's a here's a parable about a, a son who, you know, I mean, like here here's why I eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like even that, even eating with tax collectors and sinners is this embodied parable that Jesus is 
doing it not just because tax collectors and sinners need to be eaten with. That's a big part of it. But it's not just an individual act. For him, it was a social uh, prophetic act where he was like, here's God's kingdom in your midst. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with this? You know, you're going to try to kill me or are you going to join the party? Um, I want to get better at yep. like, what does that look like nowadays for us to help disrupt some of those automatic, uh, you know, liberal versus conservative kind of our consciousness that's been formed in this American political binary. How do we get better at telling and living parables that disrupt that for people yes. and allow them to see yeah. it? Yes. So everyone so then, is talking about this right now. So like we were, my wife and I went to, went out to eat last night and we were laughing because there were two conversations about two vastly different views of politics on the two tables beside us. And we were just kind of listening in and giggling at, at the comments made at both tables and wanted to just bring them together. Like, could you guys, you guys want to sit together and talk about this? Uh, which would have been amazing. Uh, but everybody's talking about this, but it feels like the church doesn't know how to talk about this, yeah. uh, which to me feels very complicated and difficult and, and, and challenging for us in the season. Yeah. 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 So one of the things I want to highlight, just what you guys said before we maybe move on, Sternkey, to hear from you, like uh, Jesus wasn't teaching ignorant people new things. He was trying to get people to think a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like, let's just assume Jesus is the best who's ever lived at that. <laughs> right? Um, he, he was, most of the time, people got really angry with him or sad or offended or dismissive. Um, and a few times people had like massive breakthrough. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess one of the things that I, that is more clear to me now than was four years ago. So uh, Strunky ITs that I'd let you talk, but let me tag this on because I'm just realizing this now. <laughs> I think four years ago, especially when it came to issues of race and racism, I was, I was under the impression that if white people got mad and shut down, that I had somehow failed. That if I if I could if, if I you could talk, talk about it when you're teaching, yeah, and discipling, yeah. And Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or if I'm having a con, if I'm if I'm having a conversation, or I've written something, and people accuse me of being judgmental or um, whatever, reverse racism. I hate white people. I I sort of I think four years ago I thought, man, if I could just get better with the words, then people wouldn't get mad, and mm. racists who don't think they're racist would see their racism. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't know if that's true now. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I, a couple things that have become clear to me. Um, I've and I know, so being in a, being Christian in America involves racism in 2020 in a way it hasn't for many people for a long time. So this is one aspect of being a Christian in America. Um, but I I think uh, oh shoot that was a caveat. Now I'm trying to reclaim what I was going to say. Oh rats. <laughs> um, Oh, I know, I know. I think I think four years ago I was more reticent to speak plainly and specifically about white supremacy and racist things than I am now. And part of that reticence was I didn't want white people to be upset with me or misunderstand me. And I was scared of being wrong. 
And this fear of being wrong was greater than the fear of not speaking out about something that was wrong. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like all those things were playing into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that now I'm less scared about being wrong because God almighty, I'm wrong so much. (laughs) I'm I'm wrong a lot. Um, And I've also just decided that um, I'd rather stand with people who say they're experiencing injustice and advocate for them in whatever way I could, can, rather than try not to offend people who don't realize how they're perpetuating injustice. The calculus is, I think Jesus would eat and drink with sinners, you know, 10 times as much maybe as he went to Simon the Pharisee's house. Yeah. <laughs> and and even when he was at Simon's house, something happened that, you know, it was oh, like, yeah, that, you know, that lady and her perfume. Yep. Some, somebody else <laughs> that disrupted party. that party. So that's, um, that's, yeah. uh, that's greater, that's clarity about myself, I think, and mm-hmm. greater clarity about, man, my responsibility maybe, or the reality that yeah. I think has shifted for me in four years. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Yeah, so it's not like there's a virtue in making white people mad, right? It's not like if I've done that, then I've stood up and said the right thing about racism, but... What you're saying is that is not automatically for you now a sign that, oh, I, I must have communicated. I must not have communicated correctly, right? So, And that, I hear that related to what you're saying, Hardman, as well, because like people's hearts are revealed uh, when these things happen. And so you would expect someone to get upset if what they've organized their whole life around, with maybe without even knowing it. I mean, I think that's, part of, that's part of what's changed for me, I think, in four years is... I I see it more clearly now because I've yeah. you know done some work I've I've been able to listen to it, and it's just it's out there more. Obviously, could I have known about it earlier? Well, sure. You know what I mean? Like there there was a a choice there in the negative sense, but yeah. Um, but uh, and now I lost. That was a caveat for me, and I lost my train of thought. We're getting old. <laughs> this is like an old guy problem. Three old guys trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So it's, uh, it's just that, um, it's just that maybe part of, uh, maybe, maybe people getting upset is just, it has to be part of it, you know, mm-hmm. which doesn't preclude, you know, maybe, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I did say something, you know, offensive, but uh, that's less of a worry that like, that's not at the top of the list of worries. Like, did I, was I unnecessarily offensive? That's not at the top of the list of the worries anymore, right? It's, it's like what's come up to the top for you, Matt, is, okay, injustice and standing with people who are yeah. experiencing injustice, that's more important than whether or not I perfectly phrased my 
you know, sermon about white supremacy or my, you know, yeah. no, my, well, you the way I talk a, about racism. You brought the parable, the parable of the prodigal son. He tells it because Pharisees and legal experts right. are grumbling that he's eating and drinking with sinners. They're upset. Like Luke right. tells yeah. us this. And then he tells the three parables yeah. uh, in succession, right? And um, I could just see like, you know, after that parable, you know, one of the one of the twelve could go, now Jesus, that was divisive. Isn't that isn't it un, it's unnecessary to be that incendiary and divisive? See, when you yeah. use that kind of story, you make people angry. What if you just appealed to their like better nature or you know yeah. laid out? And I just I I just hear that a lot. The gospel, Jesus, just right, preach just the preach gospel. gospel, Jesus. <laughs> just yeah. preach the gospel. And I, I think, look, I don't. I'm not. I'm not equating with what the three of us are doing with Jesus. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just yeah. saying my instincts have been about that unnamed twelfth. Uh, apostle, and you know who you are. Uh, my instincts have been much more <laughs> with 13th. him, like, yeah. oh, Jesus, don't make these guys mad, because then they're not going to listen to yeah. That's been my instinct for many, many years, and I think mm-hmm. in four years, it's it's I can see it now, and I trust it less. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm even thinking of that other story where they explicitly say that, like, hey, did you know that what you said was offensive to the Pharisees? <laughs> like, did you, did you know that? <laughs> I, I can't remember the exact story, but I think Jesus is like, Basically, he's like, yeah, I knew that. Like, I picked up on it. Yeah, yeah, I picked up on that. Uh, <laughs> I've got pretty they, good intuition. <laughs> I could tell they were mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is interesting that all three of the things that we described involve some level of conflict. Uh, yeah. Because it feels like 2020 has brought on this enormous amount of conflict in mm. the church and in mm. our dialogue with one another, in our social media interactions and yeah. in the church. I mean, pastors yeah. are learning to deal with. I've had more people disgruntled with me this year than than the previous 10 years of ministry, mm. I think. Mm. Yes. Yeah. The previous and, 10 and years, they were very is there's, there's stuff that I have to learn. Right, as a disciple maker, and learn how to be like Jesus in this in those situations. I have to learn to calibrate grace and truth in an appropriate way. But there's also identity issues that are revealed in me that play a major part in who I am as a pastor and as a person, and the way that I walk in my own skin every single day. And recognizing that, you know, for me, I'm a people pleaser, guys, and I do, I, I yeah. desperately want everybody to like me. Yeah. And I don't want people to be frustrated with me. And I don't, I like, I don't want people to leave my church because they're mad. And so when those things happen, it, it stirs up all kinds of things in me that I've got to reckon with for myself and become more self aware and submit and surrender to the Father. Um, and so in the midst of all of this conflict, I think everybody's wrestling also with these identity issues that are underneath the surface mm. of who are we when there is conflict in our life or when mm-hmm. I can't talk to my uncle about this stuff right now, or when you, you know, whatever that thing is, uh, all that stuff gets stirred up and it's, yeah. it's just opportunities for us to continue to be in the presence of the father, to surrender ourselves to name what's real, to tell them what we want yeah. and to wrestle with it. And the co-discern with people in community with us, right. Of, of like, Hey, I'm experiencing this. Yeah. Are you seeing this in me? Are you, yeah. how are you yeah. experiencing me? You know, those kinds of things, which is yeah. so, so challenging. It is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think that relates to one of the things that I have been thinking about in response to your question, Matt, um, is for me, something that's changed 
uh, from four years ago is I think I'm better able to see the allure, but also the vacuity of, is that a word? It, well, what I mean is you, emptiness. Give me, some con- give me some context clues. Okay, right, right. the allure and the vacuity, <laughs> I'll say vacuity, of uh, this like, quote, staying above it all for white people. Like the the allure of the, I don't want to be divisive. We're not going to talk about politics here. Yeah. Um, you know, we're like, both sides, blah, blah, blah. You know, like uh, vote however you want, you know, just, you know, come to church and let's sing praises to Jesus. Like that, um, that, uh, that, the thing that's changed for me is I can see more clearly why that's so tempting, especially for white people and white mm-hmm. pastors, white leaders, um, but also how it's, it's untenable mm-hmm. anymore. Right, mm-hmm. that there there is an inability for. I mean, I think a lot of pastors might be trying to do it, but this this idea that you can sort of stay above these things and like, oh, you know, it's just you know, let the politicians play their their political games and you know that that kind of a thing. Um, I think what I'm realizing is that politics, it's not it's not like let's not turn it into an idol, right? It is worldly power, and you know, there's all you know, like you mentioned, First Kings, like. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, you know. It's like, okay, and then this guy got murdered, and then this guy murdered the guy who murdered the other guy, and then they all, right. you know what I mean, like murder it's, all this stuff. All the hit list, right? Right. right. <laughs> there's there's mayhem, starts. and there has been for years. But I, I think the poor and the marginalized have known that this matters for their daily lives, which is why they like. But, but I think for us as like relatively privileged white people, we've always had the option of just going ah. You know, like, I don't want to, I'll be so glad when this election's over mm-hmm. and we can get back to normal, right? Get back to normal. And I, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that's changed for me is I'm realizing like, like black indigenous people of color have been saying for a long time, we don't want to get back to normal. Normal, normal's killing us. Normal is not okay. Normal is our exploitation. Normal is what we, you know, we've been fighting for justice for a long time. Um, and we'd love it if you, you know, would join us and help us yeah, in that. So I think that's part of it for me. Part of what's changed is, um, I think that this relates to what you were saying, Matt. Um, I think in my instinct in the past was to see the division as the big problem rather than the injustice mm. as mm. the bigger problem. Right. right. So like maybe to sum up, maybe a, like a civil rights anthem is that like, um, there's no justice without peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. There's no yeah. peace without justice. That's that's right. what it was, and and people who call for peace without justice, that's not really peace, right? Well, there's yeah, Old man. Testament prophets that say the same thing, right? Oh, right, right, right. So, but yeah, speaking of yeah, speaking yeah. of First Kings, yeah, speaking of First Kings. <laughs> Good guys. Well, um, maybe maybe to, maybe to wrap up. Um, can can I say one more thing too about this? Yeah. Instead of wrapping sure. up. Sure. Yeah, that's um, right. One of the other, thank you. Let it rip. Thank you for your permission, my brothers. So one of the things, um, one of the other things that has come clear to me as we're preaching through um, at our church, the Sermon on the Mount, um, I don't know. I, I think that unless you have a community that is committed to living out a different politic, right? The politics of Jesus. Unless you have a community that's that's seeking to do that, I don't know if you have a chance of, um, mm. I think the politic you get wrapped up into is the politic of America. And 
and that you have no basis on which to sort of uh, live out like a, a different kind of politic. And you, you guys understand what I mean by that, but like a way of being together, a way of living together um, that, that is able to be uh, in contrast, mm. you know, with, so uh, what I mean by that is like, I, I think that justice has to be a lot more than protests and slogans, right. And tweets. I mean, obviously it does. And, and articles and speech, it has to be more than speech. It has to be lived out. Um, has to be lived yeah. out among a people. And so, um, that's something that's become clearer to me is the vitality of that, that you, you really can't, there, there has to be a place where you live this out. And, you know, obviously as Christians, I think we think that's the church, that the church is this place where we can live out the politics of Jesus among, with each other, also engaging, you know, in the wider political sphere as it, as it makes sense. And as it uh, presents uh, opportunities, you know, for voting, for example, or protesting or whatever it might be, but putting our bodies on the line in some way, but being able to do it together and live out a different way together. I think that's key. I think it's really important. I don't know that there's a way around it. Yeah. So we're not just lobbying ideas or ideals. Right. We're actually... And hoping that, yeah, that something happens out there because we, <laughs> we, we said it clearly enough or loud enough, yeah. yeah. but there has to be, there has to be a tradition of justice that we're living in. Yes. Uh, that we're able to advocate for as well. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think one thing that's become clear probably to all of us in this season is we don't know as much as we thought we did. And we need to listen to other voices. Uh, we need to listen to yeah. minority voices. We need to listen yeah. to people that we haven't read before. We need to pay attention to women in our community. We need to, uh, I mean, there's just so much of this realization for me that I don't know as much as I thought I knew. And I feel like I'm a pretty empathetic guy, you know, like I feel mm. like I have pretty high levels of empathy, but there's so many moments where I'm like, man, I'm such a jerk. Like I just, mm. I don't even know that I'm being a jerk because I don't even know any better. And I, 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 yeah. I just need people in my life uh, and I need to be a listener and I need to be a learner mm. and I need to be humble. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's really good. I mean, I think I think this is. I mean, we train leaders in being adaptive. So rather than uh, you know reading everything you can and then delivering the pristine, excellent, professional you know model or mode to make things happen, rather to to be this person you just described—a discerning, listening, empowering, and changing person. Mm. Like uh, to change is to be holy, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Um. And so, like, I guess that's maybe, maybe that's the call then as we round this election season and head towards, you know, we're moving in towards, uh, who knows, who knows what tomorrow holds <laughs> like, yes. from the, uh, I think the only thing that would surprise me is if nothing happens and everything's totally fine and there's no drama. Um, <laughs> but, but as we round towards that, um, yeah. you know, maybe just to frame, uh, frame it for the three of us and whoever else wants to join us. But um, if God is always present and at work, and if he cares more about it than we do, then what we're dealing with and going through personally, you know, as the pandemic seems to have a third spike in it as, um, you know, uh, uncertain national politics are, you know, we're hitting refresh on our newsfeed, you know, as we move towards holidays where maybe we're socially distanced or maybe People mm -hmm. can't even sit next to each other without fighting about who they voted for. 
Um, maybe, maybe the call to change, the call to embody and embrace um, this listening and learning you were talking about, Hartman, um, as as what it means to lead. You know, like I'm going to demonstrate that repentance isn't the worst thing that could happen to me. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, yes. I mean that's. Yeah, I think that I think that's good, um, and I'll just add to that call um, to say like, hey, you know, it feels like everything kind of leads up to this big day, right? And that's today. We're releasing this on November third, but like the the our political work as Christians is not encapsulated by casting a vote, right? That mm-hmm. in in some ways I like to reverse that. I heard it's I heard somebody talking about this the other day where it's like. Uh, our political work is the work of repentance day day by day, like you just said, Matt. Our political work is the work of being the church with um, our brothers and sisters day by day. It's mm-hmm. the like it, it's the day by day, local grassroots, on the ground stuff that we're doing uh, to kind of yeah. live out our faith together. That's the that's the stuff. And then yes, every four years, like look up from your work, choose the least worst candidate, and then get back to work. Like. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. we do what we can, but yeah. like, this isn't the yeah. end all be all of what it means to be a Christian is like casting a vote or even voting for the right person. Right. Like it's, it's, it's a matter of, uh, being a repenting person and someone who can, uh, live this out in community, um, and call others into it. Yeah. All right. Yes. All right. Can I close well, this with a prayer? Can I close this with a prayer? Yeah. It's, yeah. You're yes. going to, you're going to pray extemporaneously. You're going to, you're going to, no, I've got a prayer. I've got a prayer from our prayer book um, that uses some of the, the, fr- the phrase uh, it's a phrase related to no justice, no peace. Okay. Uh, let's hear it. About yeah. So, all right, let's close with this. Almighty God, you created us in your own image. Grant to us grace to contend fearlessly against evil and make no peace with oppression and help us to use our freedom rightly in the establishment of justice in our communities and among the nations. To the glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.